Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Oligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. So today is the 13th of October, 2022, and it is World Sight Day. And it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Ella Goodwin, Chief Executive Officer of Vision Spring. We're going to be looking at the work they're doing and improving the lives of people who have blurry vision and maybe don't have access to corrective lenses. What happens if you have blurry vision and you can't see properly? You may not be able to do your work properly. You may have safety issues. We're going to be looking at all of these issues and the work they're doing to address them. Interesting to note that today it's been announced that McKinsey Scott has just donated $15 million to Vision Spring to help their work. So we're going to hear about that as well. And to our listeners, I'd like to point out a couple of previous episodes that I've done on the issue of vision, one with James Chen and the other one with Caroline Casey. Take a look at them, search for them, and you'll find interesting context that will complement today's conversation. So without further ado, Ella, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you so much. It's such a delight to be here. It's great to see you. You're out there in New York. I'm here in the UK. A little bit of a time difference, but not terrible. So you're the Chief Executive Officer of Vision Spring. Yeah. Give us a little bit of information about what's, what's Vision Spring all about. Great, thanks. Uh, Vision Spring is a social enterprise. We are bringing the wonder of clear vision to everybody through the very simple intervention of a pair of eyeglasses. There are a billion people in the world who don't have access to glasses. We look at this as an intervention to increase earning, learning, safety, well-being, and we want everyone to be able to enjoy life's beautiful details. Excellent, excellent. And you're a social enterprise, you're also a philanthropy. Uh, we are a social enterprise, so we have a hybrid business model. Uh, we focus on, so we are funded with philanthropy, about 70% of our revenues come from philanthropic sources, but we are very much focused on uh, market building and market creation. So we sell radically affordable eyeglasses through a few social enterprise models. We are both B2B and B2C, which we can talk about. Um, and it is, we very much believe in um, selling because we, we, we like to say we're biased to sell because it forces us to come to the market with a customer orientation. We don't like the word beneficiary at Vision Spring. Uh, and when we think about coming to market as, with a customer orientation, it requires us to be very, very clear about our value proposition. So we want people who are living on less than $4 a day to be uh, confident in the service and the quality and the choice that they are getting so that when they part with their limited discretionary income or even just their time, it was worth it for them. Wow. Now, in terms of philanthropy, you, you don't have names that are much bigger than McKinsey Scott. She's just given you guys $15 million, uh, I think, to, to get yes. you uh, doing some of the work that you're doing. Uh, what's, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Very exciting. And I know today it's World Sight Day, so it's an announcement that's just gone live. Uh, you must be very excited. So excited. I, I have to say, when we shared the news with our team, we all we did a virtual happy dance. 
uh, complete with gift fireworks and music and <laughs> but it it's really a big deal and, and it's a big deal not just because of the sum of money which is a big sum of money and is the largest known single gift to this issue area of uncorrected refractive error so it's big in its magnitude in terms of sheer dollars it's big in its um in, in the size of the in terms of the track record of giving to this issue um, but it's also a big deal because in shining a light on Vision Spring, she really shined a light on our issue area. Um, and the issue of uncorrected refractive error, which is the technical word for saying people who can't see because they don't have glasses, um, it's it's an issue that has, we like to say, has been hiding in plain sight. It's the, the issue that has been a blind spot uh, in the international development agenda. Um, if you can imagine in high income settings, as much as 90 to 94% of people have the eyeglasses that they need. And so we just take it for granted. But when you're in a low income setting, only 20% or less even have the eyeglasses they need. And so, but a lot of people who have been working even in international development, focusing on solutions, actually don't notice that glasses are missing, literally missing on people's faces. Um, and so what we're excited about this gift is it's a big deal for us, but it's also a big deal for the sector because it shines a light on this issue and um, her and, and and she's bringing attention to what is in fact a solvable problem. Yeah, uh, definitely it is. A, it's not an intractable problem. And it uh, besides shining light on the issue, I think you must be um, heartened to have uh, such a gift validate, reaffirm the, the fact that you're on the right track. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been we've been at this for 20 years. It's our 20th anniversary year this year. Um, and we we are months away from actually serving our 10 millionth customer. Right. Um, and so to have and, and over all of that time, we have been really readying ourselves for scale. We've been building evidence with randomized control trials. We've been building our systems when it comes to monitoring and evaluation. And um, we use Salesforce for customer relationships management. We, we just migrated into SAP so that we can, you know, manage our supply chain and our finances. We've been, you know, really growing and building out and globalizing um, our, our team. And so, so we, we were, we were ready. We were ready. Um, and, and that's part of also what makes it exciting because it unlocks the next chapter for us. Excellent. That, that, that is exciting. Now, you mentioned uh, RCT, randomized control trial. I know you worked on some of that uh, on RCT evaluations with a mutual friend of ours, James Chen, yes. um, who I know worked with you on that front. Uh, and, and by the way, to our listeners, James is a guest of ours uh, who, who's been on the show not that long ago talking about the issue of blurry vision as it were and what you could do for systemic change highly encourage our listeners to take a listen at that one but um ella give us what i'd love to find out is what's the market look like so it's good to see that you're collaborating with philanthropists and with others i know that there is a sort of interthematic uh, approach to this as well, if you will. You know, uh, vision is not only health, not only economics, there's various things that come in. So I'd love to get your take on the market, as it were. What's that reality look like? What are you what are you experiencing? And how would you like to achieve the, the goals that you have in mind? 
Yeah, so that's great. So the way there's a couple layers to that. The way that we look at it is to say the market for eyeglasses is broken. It's a 700 year old technology. It has failed to disperse to the low in income segment. Um, why? Why is that happened? So there are market forces. And if we look at the demand and the supply side. So we like to talk about the, the three A's of, of access. So first, the glasses have to be available. They just need to be proximate to where people are. Um, it is not unusual for people to have to travel hours uh, to try to get a sight test. Um, and then to encounter glasses that are expensive. So the second A is eyeglasses need to be affordable. Uh, we know that people will pay one to two days wages for the immediate benefit of vision correction at that low income level, which means in some instances, um, they can pay for the cost of the glasses, or in some instances, we have to subsidize it. But in any case, the glasses need to be uh, affordable, they need to be available. And on the demand side, they have to be aspired to. And people need to want them. And to part of wanting them is the other two ways. So underneath aspiration is they have to be aware. They need to know that glasses um, can fix their blurry vision issue. Uh, you know, a lot of people think I have gray hair and blurry vision and it's that's just God's will. And, um, and don't realize that in fact, glasses are an option for them. If they do have that awareness uh, that the solution is there, um, a lot of people don't aspire to it because some people think, it's just for wealthy individuals or educated individuals, not for people who are low literacy. Um, some people are concerned, for example, for young girls to have glasses, that it would reveal a defect, it would increase their dowry, something like that. Um, and then there's just self-consciousness. I mean, how many people who are listening today kind of delayed their getting their reading glasses? You know, they're like, oh, I hit 40. It's not that bad. You kind of get adjusted. You wait. And then one day you're in a restaurant and you can't see and you're like, OK, it's time for glasses. Or you're on your mobile phone and you're pushing your phone further and further away, like time to get glasses. So the idea of the urgency uh, is also something that we have to create. Like, don't don't wait. There's no need to wait. Um, so availability, affordability, aspiration. Now, in, in addition to those three A's, what about the the actual ability to diagnose uh, what that prescription should look like? So you may know, yes, I have blurry vision. That's not great. Uh, you may not have an, any idea of what sort of prescription you might need. How do you overcome that? That's right. Because that's also a hurdle, right? It is a big one because most people don't realize that there's two kinds of glasses, right? There's ready-made reading glasses. They're just simple magnifiers. They are available in any optical, uh, any CVS in the U.S., you know, any pharmacy, train stations, bookshops, even a gas station, you can pick up reading glasses sometimes. Um, in the markets that we're working in, they are literally locked up. Glasses are locked up in the four walls of hospitals and vision centers and optical shops. They're not available. Um, the other issue people don't know is then that some people are going to need the prescription glasses and the prescription glasses have a supply chain issue underneath them, right? Which is that you need a lens lab. Um, Vision Spring has actually innovated a new kind of prescription glass called, we call Poppins. So they are ready cut um, lenses that snap into frames which means that if we are in a transportation hub with drivers who need distance vision correction, we're in schools with children, we can fulfill about 40 to even up to 60% of the prescriptions with pre-cut ready-made lenses, um, which then cuts down the supply chain complications of needing the lens lab. So um, yeah, so that's definitely an issue. 
the one thing I should add is that ready-made reading glasses, you know, they're less than a dollar to actually produce and source. And so we can put them out into the market for less than $2, right? Um, and, and then when you think about um, uh, the prescription glasses, we're, you know, if you're in even Uganda or Nigeria, sometimes you run into prescription glasses easily in a low-income hospital at $30, $40, hmm. $70, completely unattainable. And so we're beyond anything that people can afford and there's no need for that. It, so we're working to, to really bring that price down. And, and put it in a zone of affordability. Now the prescription, and you'll have to excuse my ignorance, but the prescription glasses tend to be for distance, is that correct? Whereas the reading That's right. glasses- That's so, right, so reading glasses is for presbyopia, which is that blurry near vision that sets in when your lens gets a little tight and your muscle gets a little weak as you age, and you just can't focus at a near vision at, you know, within arm's length. That just requires a magnifying glass. Um, the prescription glasses for things like myopia or astigmatism, hyperopia, so there are different kinds, but the most common refractive error is that distance vision. It's usually myopia. It makes it blurry to see the blackboard, blurry to see oncoming traffic, that kind of thing. Right. And those are the things that can be solved without necessarily having a prescription. It's the sort of things that are off the shelf. Is that right? Exactly. So what's so powerful about where Vision Spring started our journey is, is we are, were founded by Dr. Jordan Caslow, who's an optometrist. And he said, there is no reason why a community health worker, a person with an eighth grade education should be able to screen the vision of people in their, in their villages, um, dispense reading glasses accurately, and then identify people with suspected other conditions, including cataract or something else, and refer them on. So Vision Spring is very much about demedicalizing access to eyeglasses, pushing it out into the primary care level. So we're super excited that, um, in fact, just uh, a, a couple weeks ago, our longest running program, which is called the Reading Glasses for Improved Livelihoods program, has just screened the vision of 10 million people through community health workers in Bangladesh, Uganda, and now Zambia. And they have sold radically affordable reading glasses to 2 million people. So 2 million people in village, uh, village communities have eyeglasses. 74% of them are getting glasses for the first time in their life. 65% of them are women. Um, and so we have really pushed on this idea. Now, of course, people, we, um, people also need distance correction. So we have broken our work up thematically. We say C to earn, uh, C to learn, and C to be safe. Um, and these are tied to the sustainable development goals. So kind of back to your earlier question about outcomes, uh, we, some people like to say, you know, vision's a health intervention and we'll say it is delivered in a health adjacent channel, but the outcomes are measurable on SDG one for poverty. So we look at um, income and productivity um, on uh, SDG three. So under with well-being, there are new studies that show that vision is um, vision corrections associated with lower rates of depression and anxiety. It's also related to three point six on road safety. So vision and the connection with reduced risk of traffic. Uh, I don't want to use the word accidents. Traffic crashes. Um, uh, and then SDG uh, uh, eight on decent work. We do a lot of work in factories with the garment workers um, and it's related. We're actually doing a randomized trial now on the connection between glasses and mobile banking because people are locked out of the uh, mobile economy without their glasses. 
So we really look at holding ourselves accountable at the top of our theory of change for anybody who has a theory of change that guides their philanthropy. Um, we have our theory of change which guides our, um, our impact and, and where we hold ourselves accountable for measurement. Right. And when you mentioned livelihoods uh, a minute ago, and I know one of the RCTs, one of the randomized control trials that you guys did was uh, looking at, at tea pickers and uh, you need to have the ability to see close up uh, for certain certain jobs uh, that yeah. you're doing agricultural, um, but also the livelihood. And you touched on on road safety again. If you're driving a truck or a lorry for the work that you do, not so good if you're uh, visually impaired and unable to see properly exactly. what's going on on the road. Yeah. So we have screened the vision of um, five hundred thousand truckers and allied transportation workers in the last couple of years. Twenty five percent of the truckers who are mostly, more than 70% of them, are heavy vehicle drivers. They've got their 10 and 18 wheelers. They are failing their visual acuity assessment. 25% of them have, are failing the visual acuity assessment for a driving license when they're in our vision camps. Um, so we're, we're fixing that. But going back to the livelihoods topic, um, the so, so that's scary. So I don't think anybody's gonna get in a vehicle again and say, does my driver need glasses? Um, the, uh, but but going back to livelihoods, when we think about um, vision correction, a lot of people think about office work, of course. Um, some people will make the leap and and think and think, oh, it's not just about reading. It's not just about high literacy jobs. It's actually about task oriented jobs. And so you can think about an artisan um, or a tailor or a weaver. Um, but the one that gets really ignored are farmers. People often think, oh, they're outside, they're low literacy, um, they're looking off in the distance, they don't really need, they don't really need vision correction. Um, we are actually using the McKinsey Scott gift to as a springboard um, for what we're calling livelihoods in focus. And livelihoods in focus is going to focus on um, tea, coffee, and cocoa farming communities. So it will pick up the farmers as well as their families, and importantly, the artisans and the micro entrepreneurs in those geographies. But when you look at farming in tea, coffee, and cocoa, um, it's vision intensive. So tea pickers, two leaf, one bud, two leaf, one bud, two leaf, one bud, they have to pick a certain mix and they have to get a certain type of leaf. When you look at coffee, it's incredibly hand sorted. So all the quality control that goes into the sorting. Cocoa, you have to hand pollinate with tweezers if you do that and you play the role with tweezers of a bumblebee, you increase the pro the yield on the cocoa tree by 110%. That increases the income of the family by 68%. That can only do half the people who need to do hand pollination get can't do the work because they can't see clearly. Um, they all need to look at their phones for mobile banking to check the weather, right? And then, you know, sometimes people just want to be able to, to, uh, participate more in civil society so so we are so this is where we're really pushing next and we have the evidence underneath that amazing so let me ask you a few questions big picture and i always look at this sort of like a from a business business school case study type thing but you have uh you've built a lot of evidence on the uh, economics uh, and the returns that you would envision and the economic output uh, you've you have a lot of insight on as you pointed out, it's a it's a tractable problem. Uh, you know the cost base and 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 the cost for um, 
for the supply chains, for producing these glasses, for diagnosing. So what are we looking at here in terms of actually solving the problem and making you guys no longer have to exist? What needs to happen? Um, and, and I'm wondering here about, I don't know, things that come to mind would be remote areas, conflict areas. I imagine those are really challenging issues. Uh, but even in countries where there is no conflict, um, what do you need to do? And what's perhaps the funding gap or the what needs to happen to solve this? Yeah, great. So the um, I want to I want to come to the return on investment because I think that is what draws people and is going and the reason why we've been focused on evidence is it it brings government and business to the table. Um, so the return on investment that we have seen through our randomized control trial is that eyeglasses increase productivity by 22% uh, in the agricultural setting and up to 32%. We have just, um, we're in the middle of a, a, a getting a randomized control trial uh, published. I can share pre preliminarily that the results show there is a correlating um, increase in income across a wide variety of occupations in rural Bangladesh and with the simple intervention of reading glasses. So we know that it is one of the, if not the highest return on investment that you can make through a health intervention uh, to improve uh, livelihoods, to specifically improve productivity and income. So, so when people like governments or philanthropists um, or even uh, you know corporations who are looking into their supply chains to say, what can I do for our workers? Um, you're looking for that ROI. And so what's so powerful about glasses is they're cross-cutting. So it's, you know, earning, learning, safety, uh, well-being. Um, it, it's immediate. So it's everyday magic, right? It, the you can't see, you can't see. You, take, you, you know, your glasses are off, they're on. And so the impact is immediate. Um, and it's scalable. So uh, the reason why we pushed on demedicalizing access, the biggest part of the problem currently which is presbyopia, the blurry near vision, can be corrected with an over-the-counter product, which is the cheapest, simplest technology. So what we hope is that as, um, as more and more people get to understand the intervention, that it is scalable, affordable with a high ROI, we're, we're getting many, many more partners. Um, and so I'll talk about uh, two issues. It's a, it's a $14 billion issue at the global level. And But what's exciting at, when you come to a systems change thinking is that a, a bunch of us are part of a group called uh, Friends of Vision, and Vision Springs a founding member of that. I was just at the UN the last two days. Um, in 2021, uh, we succeeded as a sector in getting consensus for the very first time uh, at the international level that, that uh, eye health, and very specifically, including cataract and uh, spectacles, uh, are a driver of multiple sustainable development goals. That consensus now is the springboard to help governments actually implement. So yesterday, the World Health Organization introduced a report, which is the report of the 2030 targets on effective coverage of eye care. But for those of us who really care, it sets the baseline. And the baseline says that um, in low-income settings, in low-income countries, specifically to your point about hard-to-reach areas, in low-income countries, it is as low as 14% at the national level, 14% coverage of eyeglasses. We have a long way to go. Even in middle-income countries, um, or those that are approaching middle-income, like low-middle-income, like India, like Ghana, we are routinely in the low-income settings, 
seeing baseline levels of 20% of eyeglasses. But what we're excited about is that it is solvable. Um, there is a collective effort, not only um, uh, among those who are in the eye health sector, but increasingly we have brought corporate partners to the table and we're pushing it out past health. So we're working with ministries of transportation, ministries of education, ministries of labor, you know, even things as niche as the Department of Tea Tribes in Assam. And so the idea is to get many, many more people to understand um, the intervention as a cross-cutting intervention. And I think, again, going back to, to Mackenzie Scott's gift, she has really shown a light on the idea of the, the power of not only trust-based philanthropy, unrestricted philanthropy, um, but working at the intersection of issues. Yeah. You mentioned the UN. There was a little gathering there not that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in New York. Um, you guys have been very involved as well on that front, right? In terms of resolutions, in terms of um, policy. Give us a little bit of an insight into that side, which I think is really interesting as well. Well, it's a slow process. So we did our very first vision screening inside the halls of the United Nations in 2019. And we just did it uh, two days ago. We screened the vision of 300 ambassadors and United Nations staff. And I can tell you that more than 200 needed eyeglasses. Huh. Um, I had the privilege of screening um, the president of the General Assembly himself uh, and using the same technique that we use with community health workers. So uh, part of this has been, again, raising awareness. Um, it has been a blind spot on the international development agenda. But we now have um, a, a many ambassadors, Bangladesh, Ireland, um, uh, Antigua and Barbuda um, have been extraordinary leaders, Pakistan um, as well. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Pakistan and um, uh, Antigua and Barbuda have uh, uh, representatives to the United Nations who themselves are either blind or, uh, or legally blind. Um, and so uh, the fact that they are at that level of leadership um, is, is wonderful. So it's a real awareness raising effort. It's multi-year. Um, we are working not only within the United Nations, but with also with WHO. So the World Health Organization and those come together. So within um, the big win this year, we, last year we got the resolution, um, uh, on, which was the first vision for everyone. This year, there was a resolution on road safety and we got vision to vision impairment to be uh, understood as part of the resolution for the very first time. Um, and uh, the next piece for us is moving from resolution to, to country level action. And that begins with the World Health Report, which shows us that um, what the baselines are. And the idea is we need to move from, we need to, to, to help countries move um, and increase their coverage rates by 40% by 2030 uh, for the SDGs. Mm -hmm. How are you driving forward the, the policy agenda? Is it uh, you at Vision Spring, James at Clearly, or, or is it all done as sort of like a collective or a sort of unified voice and then engaging with those uh, powers that be? Very much a unifying voice. We, we, you know, they say, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So um, very much together. Um, there is uh, the UN Friends of Vision. There's a group of eight civil society organizations that form a civil society nexus. Uh, and we're, we're sort of a focal point within the vision uh, sector. And then that is paired with the actual ambassadors within the United Nations who are championing the Friends of Vision group. Um, 
but we have a really active association, which is the International Association for the Prevention of Blindness, which is led by a gentleman named Peter Holland. They have been doing a wonderful job mapping out the policy change agenda. And then all of us who are members of IAPB are in a position to carry those messages either into the halls of the, of the UN and the World Health Organization or into the halls of government in the countries where we work. Um, and so we very much all need to sing with one voice. Mm, I like that. I like that very much. So you're feeling optimistic, I gather, by not just because of the gift from McKinsey Scott, but also because of the nature of, 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 the, um, of the engagement that you have, right? Yeah. Well, I have to say, you know, when we first started 20 years ago, like, it, you know, it, Jordan, it was really far out on a limb uh, and quite alone, uh, focused on eyeglasses. Um, what's been very exciting is the last five years in particular. Um, even in the eye care sector, you know, the eye care sector was very focused. It was very medicalized. It was very focused on ophthalmology. It was um, cataracts and river blindness and trachoma, um, uh, which, which are critical and important but actually we're um, only part of the vision impairment problem. And there are a, a billion, almost a billion people who just need eyeglasses. And so what's exciting about, and the reason for our optimism is in the last five years, we have seen significant movement, not only inside our sector, but, um, but across the international development landscape. Um, so it's been fun. That's great, that's great. How did you get into all of this yourself? So give us a little bit of insight into your trajectory. Oh, I started out, um, well, my journey actually professionally goes all the way back to, um, to my undergrad. I was, I was focused on reproductive health uh, and, and family planning and spent time in community in Indonesia um, and working with women. And then I got to go back to Indonesia and was there during the Asian financial crisis and a people power revolution um, that brought down Suharto. And so I got to see what happens when big macro financial disruptions pushed people into poverty and was very animated. And that was a very formative time for me personally. So fast forward, um, uh, uh, I spent the early part of my career working on um, adolescence and uh, HIV and poverty, uh, reproductive health. Uh, and then I went into um, emergency response and medical aid. Um, and then joining Vision Spring really got to jump to the front line of where I feel like um, the sector is going and, and the international development world is going, which is looking at hybrid models. You know, we're all talking about sustainability forever. Um, and and um, being in a social enterprise environment, we get to blend the best of uh, what the nonprofit world has to offer and, and what business practice has to offer. That's great. So you've been helping people's lives uh, throughout, throughout your career. I'm a lifer. You are. <laughs> And anyways, I can see you. People can't see you, but you are wearing glasses. So you do know nothing am, to talk about yes. what you're talking about. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, do you have a key takeaway for us? Is there one thing you'd love for the audience to keep in mind uh, after they finish listening to today's show? Yeah, I think that what I'd love people to remember is there are many intractable, complicated, difficult problems in the world. And this one is not one of them. This one is actually solvable. And with more people coming to the issue, we, we can do it. And I would invite anybody who's wearing glasses or has their contacts in or their LASIKs just to imagine their day without them. 
And then imagine that there's a billion people out there who are just looking for that simple solution. And, and we can do that together. Yeah. Well, here's to your success. I, I hope everything that you're trying to achieve becomes a reality. And Ella, thank you so much for, for joining us today on World Sight Day, nonetheless. Uh, and uh, very exciting. Many congratulations again on that uh, very generous gift from Mackenzie Scott, $15 million. Uh, so uh, I'm sure you'll put thank it to good so use. Much. And it's great, uh, sure great, great learning from you today as well. Alberto, thank you so much for having me and a happy World Sight Day to you. Wonderful. That's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Ella Goodwin, Chief Executive Officer of Vision Spring on World Sight Day. Thank you for tuning in. For information about this conversation and nearly 200 other interviews and case studies with remarkable leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find this show as well. Very much enjoy producing today's show for you. It's been a little bit of a technical feat because I did the interview today on the 13th of October. And we're going live with the show today on the 13th of October which meant I did all the post-production right, uh, right after having the chat with Ella. Uh, very enjoyable, really a learning experience for me uh, about the topic, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thanks so much, and I'll catch you on Monday.